When it's dark and dreary in these winter months, what do you most like to do? I'm hoping that some of you might say you love to sit by a cosy fire and listen to a good story. That's a great way to make your heart warm and bring good cheer. Hello everyone, I'm Kathleen Pelly. Welcome to the special omnibus edition of Journey with Story, where you can listen to all of this month's episodes in one single sitting. Oh, mums and dads and all of you grown-ups, you might be interested in a little handout that I have available on my website that gives you lots of tips on raising kids who love to read Of course, I know you're interested in that because you're already sharing this storytelling podcast with your little ones. So go to www.journeywithstory.com and click on the Resources tab at the top. And you can also find the link in our episode notes. Now, let's take an omnibus journey with Story. Let's take a journey with Why Crocodile Does Not Eat Hen. In long ago days in Africa, it was hen's custom to wander down to the riverbank every day in search of food. Now one day, as she was peck-peck-pecking in the long grass, who should stick up his huge head out of the water but... Crocodile! He opened his mouth, big and wide, all the better to snap up Hen and gobble her up. But Hen was bold and fierce. She had no fear of Crocodile. And she cried out, Brother, stop! Stop at once! Do not dare to eat me! Now, so surprised was Crocodile that he immediately snapped his huge jaws shut. Hen's words had confused him. Why did Hen call me brother? He asked himself. She is not a member of my family. I am a crocodile, and she is a hen. I should not have let her fool me. He looked all around him, but of course hen was nowhere to be seen. I will come back here tomorrow to this very same spot, said Crocodile, and I will gobble her up. She won't trick me again. The next day, Crocodile swam down the river to the very same spot where he had found Hen the day before. He stuck his big head out of the water and he watched and he waited. He watched and waited and watched and waited and watched and waited until finally, after a very long while, who should come a peck peck pecking by but Hen? Crocodile shouted out, Hen, today I am going to swallow you whole in one gulp. He opened his mouth as wide as he could. But once again, 
and showed no fear. Instead, she shouted in a bold, fierce voice, Brother, do not dare to eat me! Once again, snap! Crocodile closed his huge jaw shut. For some reason, he just could not bring himself to eat Hen. As he watched Hen saunter off, Crocodile grumbled to himself, oh, Why did I let her trick me again? I know she cannot possibly be a member of my family. She lives on the land, I live in the water. This is ridiculous. I am going to hunt her down right now, and then I am going to eat her all up once and for all. Crocodile heaved his huge body out of the water and started to waddle, waddle, waddle through the woods, looking for Hen. After a while, he met his friend Lizard, who asked him, Oh, Crocodile, what is bothering you today? Listen, Lizard, replied Crocodile, I have a problem. Every day a fat little hen comes down to the river bank for food. She looks so delicious that my mouth starts to water the moment I see her. But just as I open my mouth to gobble her up, she says to me, Brother, don't you dare eat me! Why does she keep calling me brother? Oh, that's easy, said Lizard. Ducks lay eggs. Turtles lay eggs. I lay eggs. You lay eggs. Hen lays eggs. So you see, in this respect, we are all brothers and sisters. Crocodile shook his head sadly. Oh, such a shame. That good-to-eat hen really is my sister. And even I could not possibly eat my sister. And off Crocodile waddled back to the river in a terrible temper. And so it is to this very day even though Hen looks so delicious as she comes a peck, peck, pecking down to the riverbank, Crocodile does not eat her. Take a journey with The Sugar Mouse Cake by Jean Zion. There was once a poor pastry cook named Tom who worked in the royal kitchen of the king. No one in the court knew what a fine pastry cook he was because he was never allowed to bake anything. Tom was the ninth assistant to the chief pastry cook and was just permitted to wash bowls and spoons. The only one who knew how well he could bake was Tina. 
Tina was a little white mouse who lived in the flower pantry. At night, when everyone had left the bakery, Tom baked little cakes especially for her. Tina thought they were the best cakes in the world and nibbled each crumb with squeaks of delight. She was very clever and Tom taught her many tricks. When he said, Ali up, Tina turned a somersault. When he said, Hold, Tina remained perfectly still. And when he played his music box, Tina danced. Tina loved to dance more than anything else. One day, Tom read a royal proclamation on the kitchen wall. It said, Whereas the chief pastry cook will retire next week, a royal contest will be held in the great hall tomorrow morning at nine. Be it known that whichever cook in the kingdom shall submit the best cake, he shall become the king's new chief pastry cook. When the other cooks saw Tom reading the proclamation, they winked at each other and snickered. <laughs> Are you going to bake a cake, Tom? One of them sneered. The others roared with laughter. <laughs> the cake he'd make would win, snickered another. A quick trip to the dungeon, sneered the first. The others laughed so hard that Tom ran and hid in the flower pantry with Tina. That night, when everyone had gone, Tom had no time to play his music box or watch Tina do her tricks. He had to make his cake while the ovens were still hot. He poured and mixed and measured and moved about so fast, Tina jumped into his pocket to keep out of the way. He spiced and diced, he whipped and dipped, he rolled and chopped and sprinkled. He stirred in this, he beat in that, he moved about so fast, he never even knew he'd knocked his little music box into the batter too. Tom made layer after layer, and then while Tina slept, he worked all night on the hardest part of all, the decorations. When morning came, Tom's cake was decorated from top to bottom with sugar mice. They had pink sugar eyes and pink sugar noses, and all of them looked as real as could be. Some were musicians, and others were dancers, and high in the middle on two little thrones sat a sugar mouse king and a sugar mouse queen. As Tom sat admiring his work, he suddenly realised it was late. He had to wrap up his cake and take it to the Great Hall. The great hall of the castle was filled with cakes and pastry cooks from every corner of the kingdom. The royal kitchen cooks were all so puffed with pride, they almost burst. Each was sure his cake was the best. When Tom came in carrying his cake, they snickered. <laughs> what have you got there? Old clothes? One sneered. The others roared with laughter. Then one of them pretended to trip Tom and almost made him fall and drop his cake. 
Everyone laughed even louder than before. But this time, Tom didn't run and hide. He just walked straight ahead. When he got to an empty place at the end of a long table, Tom unwrapped his cake and looked at it happily. But all of a sudden, his smile disappeared. There, at the foot of her throne, lay the Sugar Mouse Queen. She had fallen and broken in pieces. As Tom stared at the broken queen and the empty throne, his eyes filled with tears and he reached into his pocket for his handkerchief. Slowly, a look of surprise came over his face. Then he took something out of his pocket. But it wasn't his handkerchief. It was Tina. She'd been asleep in his pocket since the night before. All at once, the sound of trumpets filled the great hall. The royal contest had begun. Suddenly, Tom had an idea. He put the pieces of the broken queen in his pocket and placed her little golden crown on Tina's head. Then, just as the royal procession came into the great hall, Tom put Tina on the empty throne on top of the cake. Hold, Tina, hold, he whispered. Tina remained perfectly still. She looked exactly like one of the white sugar mice. The royal procession was led by the king and queen. The queen was very fat. She loved to eat more than anything else in the world. As soon as she saw all the cakes, she clapped her hands with delight. Let's start tasting them, she cried. Be patient, my dear, said the king. First, let's see what they look like. The chief pastry cook bowed. The trumpets blew and the judging began. The royal party went from cake to cake and examined each one carefully. The king just looked, but the queen ate a piece of each. She tasted round cakes, square cakes, tall cakes and small cakes. Finally, she tasted a big, rich cheesecake. Mmm, delicious, she cried. It's the best of them all. But we haven't seen them all, dear, said the king, turning to Tom's cake. High on the pink sugar throne, Tina sat perfectly still. Beautiful, exclaimed the king as he looked at the cake. Beautiful, exclaimed the rest of the court. Just then, a fly landed on the end of Tina's nose. Hold, Tina, hold, whispered Tom. At first, Tina didn't move, but then her whiskers twitched just a little. Eek! shrieked one of the ladies of the court. A sugar mouse moved! She gasped. Then she fainted. The other ladies screamed and drew back. See, my dear, exclaimed the king. The sugar mice look so really frightened all the ladies. This cake is a masterpiece. Oh, nonsense, said the queen. The cheesecake is the best. Then she ate another piece bigger than the first. At this moment, the palace cat walked into the great hall. He walked straight to Tom's cake 
put his front paws on the table and sniffed. Tom's heart sank. Hold, Tina, hold, he whispered. Suddenly the cat took a big swipe at Tina. He missed by a hair, but Tina stayed perfectly still. The whole court was in an uproar. Did you see that? exclaimed the king as the cat ran off. Even Puss thinks the sugar mice are real. This cake is a work of art. Fiddlesticks, said the queen. Then she helped herself to still another piece of cheesecake. The chief pastry cook coughed nervously. <coughs> uh, perhaps your majesty would care to taste the sugar mouse cake, he said, bowing to the queen. Then he picked up a knife and turned to Tom's cake. When Tom saw the knife, he wanted Tina to run for her life, but he was so frightened he couldn't make a sound. At first, Tina didn't move, but when she saw the knife right over her tail, she flicked her tail out of the way. The chief pastry cook jumped back. Oh, forgive me, your majesty, he gasped. I thought I saw one of the, the sugar mice move. Oh, my good man, said the king. You need a long rest. You are seeing things. As for me, I have seen enough. The sugar mouse cake is certainly the winner. Oh, ridiculous, snapped the queen. The cheesecake is the winner. It's so delicious. I, I'm going to have to have some more for lunch. Then she ordered that the cheesecake be taken to the royal chamber. I fear the queen and I do not agree, the king said to the court. We cannot choose a new chief pastry cook today. Then he ordered that Tom's cake also be taken to the royal chamber. I have feast on its beauty always. When Tom heard the king's order, his heart sank. He didn't know what to do. But as the two cakes were carried off, he whispered, Don't worry, Tina, I'll rescue you. Tina remained perfectly still. That night, when everyone had gone to sleep, Tom tiptoed down the hall toward the royal chambers. But it was no use. Ten palace guards guarded the door. Suddenly, Tom had another idea. He went outdoors and put a tall ladder across the moat to the window of the royal chamber. Then he climbed to the top and looked in. The king and queen and Tina were all asleep. The king snored peacefully, but the queen tossed and turned in her sleep. She had finished the cheesecake and had eaten all the cookies in her silver cookie box, too. Tina still sat on the little throne and dreamed that she was back in the flower pantry. Tom was wondering what to do next when suddenly he saw something that made his blood run cold. Creeping towards his cake was the hungry palace cat. Before Tom could rap on the window to warn Tina, the cat leaped up and took a great swipe at her. He missed Tina, but his paw went through the cake and hit the little music box, which had been baked inside. It started to play. And Tina and the Queen woke up. Tina tried hard to hold still, but she couldn't. She began to dance. When the Queen saw Tina dancing, she screamed and fainted. Tina 
jumped off the cake and ran. The cat ran after her. The king woke up and shouted for the captain of the guard. The captain of the guard shouted for the court physicians. And Tom fell off the ladder into the moat. When the court physicians arrived at the queen's bedside, they threw water in her face and she opened her eyes. Oh, Sugar Mouse was dancing on that cake, she gasped. The court physicians put their heads together and whispered for a moment. Then one of them spoke. Your Majesty, he said, it is quite clear you had a nightmare from eating too much cake. The Queen closed her eyes and shuddered. I promise that from this moment on, she said, I'll never eat too much cake again. In the morning, Tom read a royal proclamation on the kitchen wall. It said, Whereas the Queen and I do now agree, we hereby do proclaim the sugar mouse cake to be the best cake in the kingdom. Be it known, therefore, that Tom shall become the King's chief pastry cook. We summon one and all to attend the ceremony this afternoon at three. When the other cooks read the proclamation, they gasped. Then, with worried looks on their faces, they turned to Tom and each took off his hat. I always knew your cake would win, one of them said. Oh, so did I. Me too. Good old Tom, said the others. They tried to slap him on the back and shake his hand. But Tom ran and hid in the flower pantry. Tina was gone, and Tom wished that he had never made the sugar mouse cake. That afternoon, the king made Tom his chief pastry cook and proclaimed the sugar mouse cake a royal treasure. After a small lunch of weak tea and toast, the queen was able to attend the grand parade in Tom's honour. Flags waved, trumpets blew, and everyone shouted, Three cheers for Tom! The king even presented him with the queen's silver cookie box. But Tom was the saddest person in the kingdom. That night he went to bed with a heavy heart. Although now Tom slept in a fine soft bed, he tossed and turned and had all sorts of bad dreams. Alas, poor Tina, he called out in his sleep. No sooner had Tom cried out than he was awakened by something. It was a soft tapping sound. Tom got up and opened the door and looked down the hall. He looked in the cupboard and under the bed, behind all the curtains, and finally he said, I must have dreamed it. As soon as he said this, the tapping started again. Suddenly Tom turned and stared at the Queen's silver cookie box on the table near the bed. He lifted the lid and out jumped Tina. She was so happy she turned somersaults. She did cartwheels. She danced and she stood on her head. She did all of her tricks except one. She didn't hold still. Tom was so happy. He laughed and he cried and he hopped up and down. He even put on his chief pastry cook's hat. Oh, let's celebrate, he cried and Tina jumped right onto his shoulder. Then Tom ran all the way to the kitchen and made Tina some of her favourite little cakes. She nibbled each crumb with squeaks of delight, and before long, 
she was fast asleep in Tom's pocket. From that day on, they lived happily ever after. Let's take a journey with four questions. Long ago in China, there lived a young man called Wei, who took care of his elderly mother. Every day Wei worked in his orchard, but no matter how hard he tried, he could barely earn enough money to keep food on the table and wood on the fire. As time passed, Wei grew more and more worried as to how he was going to look after his dear mother. And so he decided to go in search of the wise man who lived on top of Holy Mountain. People said that this wise man knew the answer to every question in the world. I am going on a journey to the wise man, he told his mother. Surely he will be able to tell me how I can earn more money so that I can look after you and keep you comfortable in your old age. His mother gave way her blessing and waved him goodbye as he set off on his journey. Way walked and walked and walked and just as darkness was about to fall, he spotted some light in a tiny cottage up ahead. So he knocked on the door and bowed to the woman who answered. Forgive me, he said, but might I ask you if I can rest here for one night? I'm travelling to see the wise man. The woman smiled. Oh, I'm happy to welcome you, but in exchange I would like you to ask something of the wise man. My beautiful daughter, Xiu, has not smiled for years. I can do nothing to make her smile. Please, ask the wise man what I should do. Of course, and I will bring you his answer, Wei said. At dawn, he set off again for the mountain. For many days, Wei walked and walked, and just when he thought he could not put one foot in front of the other, he came upon a little village near the foot of Holy Mountain. Welcome, welcome! The people called to him, and they offered him food and water and a warm hut to rest. But friendly though they were, Wei noticed a certain sadness in their faces. Please, good people, he said, tell me what is wrong. Ah, our beautiful magnolia tree no longer blossoms, the villagers told him. Once upon a time it had beautiful flowers. But something has happened, and now there are no blossoms. Will you ask the wise man how we can help our tree? Of course, Wei said. And the next morning, 
he set off for the mountain across a river. But as he dipped one foot in the water, the current was so strong that it swept away his shoe. He shivered with fear. Surely I will drown if I try to swim. I'll never reach the wise man now. Suddenly, a dragon appeared on the shore. I'll carry you across, the dragon said. If you'll ask the wise man a question for me, I am meant to fly to heaven, to live among my fellow dragons. But no matter how I try, I cannot fly. Please ask the wise man what I must do. Of course, Wei said, and he sat upon the dragon's sturdy back, and the creature carried him across the river. When Wei reached the foot of the mountain, he could barely contain his excitement at the thought of finally meeting the wise man, and he ran as fast as he could all the way to the top of the mountain. And there before him sat the wise man. Bowing down low, Wei said, Sir, I have four questions for you. The wise man shook his head. The rule of the mountain is that each person may ask only three questions. Wei's heart sank with disappointment. Now what could he do? He had promised to help the dragon and the sad young woman and the townspeople, and yet... He wanted with all his heart to know what to do so that he would no longer be poor and could look after his beloved mother. He cleared his throat. <clears throat> Very well, I must ask you how a young woman named Shiyu can be made to smile. The wise man nodded. Shiyu awaits someone to love. When she meets him, she will smile, not only with her mouth, but with her heart. And sir, Wei went on, can you tell me why the magnolia tree in the village below no longer blooms? There is a box of gold buried beneath the tree, said the wise man. Dig that up and the tree shall bloom again. Now Wei paused. He thought of his own question, but then he remembered the dragon's sad eyes and how he had helped him across the river. He could not disappoint him, and so he asked, Please, can you tell me how the dragon that lives in the river below can fly to heaven? The dragon possesses many jewels, but no one can take the riches of this earth to heaven. Tell him to give away his earthly goods, and he shall fly. Thank you, Wei said. He bowed low, and then, with no answer to his own question, he walked down the mountain. The dragon was there to meet him at the river bank. And as they crossed the river, we told him the wise man's answer. Give away your earthly treasures and you shall fly. 
he said. When they reached the far side of the river, the dragon handed a pouch to Wei. Take these, he said. These are rubies and pearls. They are yours. A moment later, the dragon was on his way, flying to heaven. Wei journeyed toward the village and told the townspeople there what the wise man had said. At once the villagers dug beneath the tree and found the box of gold. Here, you must take this, they said to Wei, for you have returned our beautiful magnolia blossoms to us. Wei waved farewell to the villagers and set off again on his journey holding his box of gold and pouch of jewels. When he reached Shi Yu's home, he stopped and knocked. Shi Yu answered, and when she saw Wei, her heart filled with joy. She smiled, the most beautiful smile in the world. She and Wei fell instantly in love, and the next day they married, and together they returned to Wei's mother. They brought along the jewels and the gold, and forever after, they all lived together in perfect peace and prosperity. Let's take a journey with Emily Dickinson's poems. The first is, The moon was but a chin of gold. Now, there may be some words here that you don't understand, but that's all right. Sometimes it's good to listen to words, even if we don't understand them. The moon was but a chin of gold. The moon was but a chin of gold. A night or two ago, and now she turns her perfect face upon the world below. Her forehead is of amplest blonde, her cheek like beryl stone, her eye unto the summer dew, the likest I have known. Her lips of amber never part. But what must be the smile upon her friend she could confer, were such her silver will? And what a privilege to be but the remotest star, for certainty she take her way beside your palace door. Her bonnet is the firmament, the universe her shoe, the stars, the trinkets at her belt. Her dimities of blue. And now a riddle poem. A fuzzy fellow without feet, yet doth exceeding run, 
of velvet is his countenance, and his complexion done. Sometimes he dwelleth in the grass, sometimes upon a bough, from which he doth descend in plush upon the passer-by. All this in summer, but when winds alarm the forest folk, he taketh damask residence and struts in sewing silk. Then finer than a lady emerges in the spring, a feather on each shoulder, you'd scarce recognize him. Did you guess what Emily Dickinson is describing here? Yes, it's a caterpillar who then became a butterfly. Are you ready? Here's another riddle poem. See if you can guess what Emily Dickinson is describing. It sifts from leaden sieves. It powders all the wood. It fills with alabaster wool the wrinkles on the road. It makes an even face of mountain and of plain, unbroken forehead from the east unto east again. It reaches to the fence, it wraps it rail by rail, till it is lost in fleeces, it deals celestial veil. To stump and stack and stem a summer's empty room, acres of joints where harvests were, recordless but for them, it ruffles wrists of posts as ankles of a queen, then stills its artisans like ghosts, denying they have been. Did you guess it? Yes, it's snow. And finally, here's our last riddle poem. See if you can guess what creature this is. A narrow fellow in the grass occasionally arrives. You may have met him. Did you not his notice instant is? The grass divides as with a comb. A spotted shaft is seen, and then it closes at your feet and opens further on. He likes a boggy acre, a floor too cool for corn, but when a boy and barefoot eye, more than once at noon, have passed, I thought a whip lash and braiding in the sun, when stopping to secure it, it wrinkled and was gone. Several of nature's people I know and they know me, I feel for them a transport of cordiality. But never met this fellow attended or alone without a tighter breathing and zero at the bone. Did you get it? Did you guess? Yes, it's a snake. I hope you enjoyed this special omnibus edition of Journey with Story. And don't forget, if you had a favourite story, 
do let us know. Just go to www.journeywithstory.com, click on the contact us and fill in the form. And if you want to be considered for a shout out on the show, send us your drawings there too. Click on contact us, fill in the form and attach your drawing there. You can also see the link in our episode notes. Cheerio then, join me next time for Journey with Story. Music and post-production was by Colette Jonas.